Hello and welcome to Moments with Moni. I'm so glad you're here, where we ponder life from a biblical perspective, where salt makes us thirsty and light exposes darkness. Come, let's ponder these things together. Hello and welcome back to Moments with Moni. I'm your host, Moni. Our guest today is Dave Ebert. He's an improviser, actor, improv coach, speaker, and credentialed minister. He was born in Chicago and grew up in southwestern Virginia. Much of his improv and acting ability is attributed to his eight years as a pro wrestler on the independent circuit in the South. In 2013, after nearly two decades of battling with depression and suicidal tendencies, Dave finally made the life-changing decision to pursue God. He says, at that point, I wrestled with this choice. I could take my life or I could give my life. I chose to give my life to the Lord. Most of his life, Dave covered his depression with humor. He used it to make others feel better while disguising how he truly felt inside. Dave often tells his testimony by saying, I used to use comedy to hide who I was, but now I use comedy to reveal who he is. Shortly after deciding to pursue a real relationship with God, Dave relocated back to Chicago and through his passion for comedy, renewed with a deeper purpose, he founded Well-Versed Comedy, an improv comedy ministry team. Doing comedy is his primary passion for reaching people, either to uplift and encourage fellow Christians or to bring light, laughter, and joy to non-Christians. He is married to his wife, Bobby. He married her back in June 2015, and they live together in Crest Hill, Illinois, with their three cats. And not only that, after today's episode, after the recording, I got a two thumbs up from Dave Ebert. That's quite the rating. So I'm looking forward to you being able to hear all about Dave and how he uses his life for the Lord. Good morning and welcome, Dave Ebert. I'm so glad to have you here on Moments with Moni. I'm uh, excited to be here. Um, you know, it reminds me of the, uh, the the classic song, Here She Comes Down Singing Moni Moni. And that's that's the extent of my musical talent, and I won't punish you anymore. Uh, my <laughs> husband sings that to me a lot. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I hear that. I've heard that a lot throughout my life. Of course, I go by Mo, too, and then there's that endearing term, that nickname of slow-mo sometimes, too. <laughs> oh, I, I would have gone with uh, the, the Wayans Brothers. Mo money, mo money. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that one. I don't know that one. That was a 90s film. Uh, it was Damon Wayans and uh, one of his brothers. I think it was, uh, uh, actually, I can't remember which brother it was, but that, that's not important right now. <laughs> this whole house is always full of music, so yeah, it's easy to yeah. talk about it. <laughs> so how are you doing in this social distancing era? I'm surviving, but I am very anxious uh, to get out and be back to what life is supposed to be. This whole thing is uh, really, for somebody that's, that's creative, that thrives on being with people, uh, I'm sure that uh, anybody that's uh, clicked on this podcast by now has uh, kind of seen the rundown, knows that I'm a comedian. I do okay. improv in front of people and I thrive off of being in the presence of people. And so this has been a, a very, uh, uh, not a trying time, but it's definitely been a, um, a time of frustration and wanting to find every way to get out and do what it is I love to do. Yeah, yeah. I I struggle with that myself. I'm I've got one of those the uh Myers-Briggs initials, the ENFP. Mm-hmm. Do you know what your initials are? I actually don't. Um I think you know, on the disc personality I'm a, a DI and I think on Enneagram I'm a 2. I'm not familiar with those well enough, but yeah, yeah at, at least I know, I believe you would be an extrovert wanting to get out there. Okay. So with that, we can connect. Yes. 
And using that to this time in the social distancing era, I can say that I've been able to use this time to be more creative for the things that are coming up. And I'm sure that you're using your time wisely for the Lord as well. Yeah, one of the things that my improv group has done since April is we did a, a weekly uh, improv uh, show via Zoom uh, mm-hmm. to try to uh, help us remain creative and try to continue to work on our uh, improv skills. And then also as a way to try to provide some sort of outreach, some sort of uh, light among the darkness and to try to offer, if nothing else, for 30 minutes a week, a distraction from all of the chaos that we see uh, in the news and on social media every day. Yeah, I've seen the links of that from your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. That looks very interesting. So have you been affected by the fires and the smoke of the west or the hurricanes in the east? I'm not sure where you're at. Uh, we're in the uh, suburbs of Chicago. So we've, uh, uh, for the most part, avoided all of the side effects of those fires or the hurricanes. Uh, uh, the the smoke and the ash, some of it has hit parts of the Midwest, but not really uh, caused us any any trouble. Uh, but then again, we're near Chicago, so maybe that's just blending in with the regular smog that we breathe anyways. <laughs> mm. um, but yeah, we've, we've avoided that pretty much. Um, I think it's probably because that uh, um, smoke from forest fires is heavily taxed, so it just avoids the <laughs> entire state. <laughs> Well, there's some of that humor that came out right there. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So did God plant you in Chicago over there? Or did you, where were where were you born? Let's put it that way. Well, I was born in Chicago. And then Ooh. in the late 80s, my dad uh, got really sick. He was a Vietnam veteran and uh, started feeling a lot of the side effects of the Agent Orange chemical that they used. Mm-hmm. So in uh, 88, we moved to Virginia uh, to where my mom was from. And that's where I grew up and spent most of my life. But then uh, as part of my testimony in 2013, when I truly started a relationship with the Lord, he led me to leave West Virginia and uh, come back home to Chicago. Uh Yeah, I was going to ask him. Well, thank you very much to your dad for serving. Mm -hmm. My family have done the same and I really, truly appreciate it. And I know it does make you make them ill, um, but they stood up and I appreciate that. So how old were you? Did you say I, you gave the year? How old were you when you first heard about Jesus? Well, that's the interesting thing. I had uh, grown up kind of as a uh, priester. Uh, you know, we went to church, Christmas, Easter, okay. the occasional Sunday, but definitely every time there's a potluck. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up in this thing where, you know, being a Christian just meant that uh, you didn't kill anybody and you didn't do too many bad things. And then, at the end of your life, you kind of were in a pass-fail where God either passed you into heaven or failed you to hell. And there really wasn't a, a, a definitive way there. Um, in sixth grade, I went to a, a church camp. And uh, on Thursday night, after we said our uh, devotions, I said the little sinner's prayer on my way back to the cabin. And there's where I first accepted Christ. Um, based on your interpretation of the Bible, you could say that I was once saved as a sixth grader, or some people would say that I walked away uh, from faith. And um, I really didn't get to a full relationship with the Lord where I truly pursued him until I was uh, 31 years old in uh, early 2013. Um, so it, it depends on what you, how you interpret the Bible. Either I was saved as a sixth grader, or I was uh, saved as a 31 year old. So, uh, either way I'm good now. I'm, uh, pursuing the Lord now. Uh, so the question doesn't matter right now. Right. And that's fine for me. I was saved. I, I would say t- at 10, mm. but then God sanctified me, uh, changed me, transformed me. And it took a long time. So yeah. until almost 60 now, he's, he's still working on me. Right. Well, you still have breath in your lungs, so God is still working. There's not a uh, uh, a wasted breath uh, as far as God's concerned. He wants to continue to work on you and, and give you uh, homework to do so that you continue to help grow his kingdom. That's right. So true. I agree completely in that. So we don't have to argue about all the little things. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. So was there anyone in your life? Was it your mom or your dad or someone else that was praying for you that you know of before you came to trust Jesus with your life? 
I don't know. Uh, my dad, he passed away in 2010, so uh, he didn't see me fully enter into a, a long-term relationship with the Lord at that point. Um, uh, so I don't know, and I honestly don't know what his relationship was uh, like with the Lord, because uh, the, the different things that he went through, it created uh, some mental illness as far as like uh, you know, some stress and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know uh, where he was. Uh, and I also don't know how much was his choice. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of fruit as far as like uh, a sal- you know, salvation fruit, fruit of the spirit. Uh, but he was a decent guy and he said he loved the Lord. Um, but only God truly knows what was the illness and what was dad's, you know, my dad's choices. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if I could uh, say he did. Um, uh, my mom is kind of on the outskirts. She believes and she, she likes and shares things on, on Facebook, but she's not exactly, uh, she doesn't go to church and she doesn't have uh, a, an, um, a relationship where she's uh, actively praying. So I would say if anybody was praying for me, it would be uh, a couple of pastors that passed through our uh, our town. Uh, there was one, a young pastor, his name is uh, Tony uh, Perry. Uh, he really wanted to pour into the youth, but we had a much older church and they felt like they, the pastor needed to pay attention to them and not necessarily the, the few youth. And so uh, he ended up getting moved. And then there's another pastor came through short term. She poured into us. Um, and then there was a, a, a nun at a local Catholic church that was really involved in the, all the youth in the town, uh, Sister Rose Golombowski. And uh, she, uh, I would say she prayed uh, f- you know, for us kids quite a bit. So we did have some coverage, but it wasn't in the household the way that uh, would have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but the Lord still found me uh, and finally got my attention. Yeah. So I, now I understand a bit of your background. How about what is God doing today with your life? Uh, right now, uh, we mentioned the, uh, the comedy ministry. I'm doing a lot of uh, ministry uh, as far as um, using comedy as a performance to try to uh, change people's uh, outlook on life by giving them um, you know, some hope because uh, laughter is really uh, something that gives people a lot of hope. So uh, there's also the ministry where I uh, teach improv t- at a, uh, uh, an organization that works with women who've survived sex trafficking. Uh, so I work with those ladies and uh, use improv as a way to improve self-esteem, uh, to improve communication abilities. And if nothing else, at the end of the day, uh, they get to laugh like little girls for, for an hour a month. And that's something that they really struggle with is letting go of those burdens and being able to laugh. Um, so being able to use my experiences and the, the comedy that, uh, that got developed in me in order to uh, help bring some hope and healing to women that have survived literal hell on earth is a real blessing. I'm so glad you shared that. And what an awesome testimony to be able to use your talents, what God has given you to minister to hearts that have truly been broken. Yes. Uh, to bring healing through laughter. Now, I've also heard that you always hear about comedians having their own pain in their life mm. and that they use humor to mask that. If you're willing to share, is there something in your life that hurt you, that brought you to the place where you use that laughter, where you use that humor? Sure. Um, that's actually, uh, that's my testimony is... Um, I, I was always somebody that liked to entertain. Even as a kid, I would try to, you know, get attention and and perform and make people laugh because I loved it. Um, but as I got older and my dad uh, really started getting sick um, in different things, you know, like I had these really I, idealized notions of what it was to be a guy and and it, to be a guy, I had to have the pretty girlfriend and had to have this that, and the other thing going for me. And, be, and when none of that stuff worked out, all my value was in those kind of ideals. I entered into a really a deep depression. So having always been funny, it went from being something that was kind of pure in nature and heart to being that defense mechanism to uh, hide how I felt, uh, to uh, prevent others from feeling the same way and also to justify my existence because as I got more and more depressed, I thought more and more about, about ending it, about uh, committing suicide. 
And so if I could make people laugh, if I could make somebody else's life better, then now I had justification to continue living because without that, I had no tangible thing of saying, I, I felt like I had no worth. And so being able to make people laugh was my worth. It was like my excuse to allow myself to continue. Um, and it, it was a really a dark and a long battle. Uh, looking back, the more I look back, the more I realize how God was there. Uh, kind of the, uh, you know, that still small voice you hear about. Uh, just gently nudging, gently prodding, uh, letting me deal with it because I refused to hand it over to him. But he, uh, he was always there uh, trying to guide me and keep me, you know, keep me safe from uh, any stupid decisions. Uh, also, I look at myself, or I did, and I said I was weak and I was a coward for not being brave enough to end it all. But it was God whispering in my ear, telling me not to. It wasn't me chickening out. It was God saying, no, you don't need to do this. Um, so, you know, the depression, the suicide is very real. Not everybody who's funny and entertaining has that problem, but a lot do. And it's a defense mechanism. And for many, I, I would assume it's the same thing where they feel like if I can make your life better, that makes my life better, which means that I have value and I can justify uh, taking up more space on earth for a few more days. Mm, I'm sorry you had to go through that. Um, I also find that just like Job who went through suffering, um, it's not wasted if mm-hmm. you do listen to God through this and learn from it. And it sounds as if you have and now being able to help others with it. I know by listening to some of your podcasts that your reason for doing this now is comes out of a much healthier place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the way I summarize it is um, I used to use comedy as a way to hide myself. I now use it as a way to reveal him. Um, I use comedy, entertainment, and uh, as a way to always point to the cross. Instead of as a shield, I use it as an arrow to like, hey, this is why I do it. This is who gives me the power to do it. This is who I serve. And I would love for you to get to know him uh, because the fact that you've been able to laugh, you can feel that there's something bigger than what you're feeling right this moment. Feelings will come and go. The weights and the burdens of the world will come and go, but hope can last forever if you place it in the right place. And so uh, in whatever small way I can, uh, through making people laugh, through uh, helping them with their uh, communication abilities or self-esteem through uh, improv, uh, whatever I can do in some small way to help point them in the right direction, uh, I am thrilled to be able to do it. And uh, all the projects that I try to do have the root of using my gifts, my talents, my passions for his glory, because I want people to see that this world is temporary. No matter how painful it is, 10,000 years from now, it's going to be no more than ripping off a Band-Aid. It may be painful in the moment, but eventually you're going to forget about that. And uh, I want people to, I want as many people as possible to know that 80, 90, 120 years, it's nothing compared to 10,000 years. It's nothing compared to eternity where there's no death, there's no illness, there's no taxes, <laughs> you know, it's, and to flip things on its ear, what we value here in this life is gold and wealth. In heaven, gold is thrown underfoot and it's what we walk on it's not a valuable thing where we exalt it it's what we walk on Uh, what we think of as gravel and dirt here is what gold means in heaven because there's so much more worth there than what we're walking on yes we are ambassadors for christ in this realm already living in the next and our minds and our hearts there and that does give us hope, um, gives us comfort, gives us hope. And then we can pass that on to others just as you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's good to have a voice to be able to share those things and to know that we can use our talents, the things that God has given us to be able to further that kingdom, to grab somebody by the arm and say, come on, let's go. Come with me. We're going to walk. We're going to walk to Jesus. 
Amen. And that there's the temptation where you need to rely on the Holy Spirit to grab them by the arm, by the hand, and not by the throat. Come on, come with me, wake up. Because, you know, that doesn't really have a lot of uh, positive effect. No, really? <laughs> Good point. I'm glad you pointed that out for us. Very necessary these days to know. <laughs> Yeah, baptism shouldn't be forced. You shouldn't like force their head underwater. Like, except, except, you know, that doesn't that won't that won't get people closer. It's the it's tempting. It's like, you know, but it, it won't help. Holding them under <laughs> until they pass out. That doesn't help either. Yes, uh, funny story is when I was growing up uh, in like third or fourth grade, I heard people talking about getting baptized, and the way I heard them say it was, the pastor put them underwater and Jesus saved them. So in my mind, completely uneducated, I imagine that the pastor actually held you underwater. And if Jesus wanted to save you, he would save you. Otherwise, you're not coming back up. (laughs) That's not the way it goes. (laughs) No. And uh, thank God that my church at that point uh, did the sprinkle baptism, because otherwise I might not have done it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we are funny creatures, aren't we? Yes. (laughs) I did look at uh, one of your, well, several of your podcasts, and I noticed that um, you do a little bit of everything. It's like a smorgasbord podcast. I love it. Well, I I am a heavyset guy. I don't know if anybody will see video, but smorgasbord is what I'm all about. (laughs) (laughs) I've had to do keto for like five years now because of a motorcycle accident. So, and other health issues. So that helps me not gain anymore, but. I'm I'm there with you. I understand. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I'm also that ENFP likes to be doing a whole bunch of different things. Uh, I have a lot of interests, so uh, I was really um, pleasantly pleased with your podcast there. Oh, alliteration! I like that. Writer too. Anyway, devotions with Dave. So you use devotions, humor, and interviews. That smorgasbord of a podcast. Mm-hmm. And the most recent post that I saw on something was you shared uh, the recent four R's, the repent, rebuke, reclaim, and revival. Can you explain why you felt the need to share this and why you believe it, it's important for us right now? It was, uh, it was just a, a God thing. You know, like you said, alliteration. Um, I, I do some writing from time to time. Uh, and I, I just really like alliteration because it helps it easy, makes things easier to remember. Yeah. Uh, so you have the four R's there. Um, repent, which is the first step. You know, a lot of people talk about uh, uh, Chronicles 714, where, you know, it's God will heal our land. But the first step to that, even though there's a promise to Israel, I believe that that promise can apply to anybody, any nation that truly repents. And that's the first step is repent. Uh, and you have, to, and sometimes we need people to be like Daniel. And even though he was not guilty of these specific sins, but lead the way in a national repentance where we repent of the sins of this country. Uh, so repent and then rebuke, um, because there are a lot of things that we've allowed to get into the church, get into Christian homes that need to be rebuked and gotten out. Uh, there are levels of tolerance in the American church universal uh as far as like what we intake as far as entertainment um how we spend our money how we spend our time and we need to rebuke those things because they're all creating footholds um there are things that we've accepted about marriage uh as uh, marriage is a contract that well we can still be christian and divorce no that's that's not what the bible teaches uh marriage is supposed to be forever because it's a symbol and representative of what god and Jesus are doing with the church. We're married as part of the church. And so the fact that so many Christians give up on marriage because it's easy shows that the enemy's got a, a foothold in the church and in church families. So we got to rebuke these outside forces that are telling us that, well, if it doesn't work out, you can get divorced. No. Just like you can't divorce your kids. Your kids are your family. They're supposed to go out and make their own life, but you never get divorced from them. Mm-hmm. So rebuke those things. And then uh, reclaim uh, reclaim the authority that Jesus gave to us. He gave us authority over all these different things that are attacking us because we're his heirs. Uh, we have the ability and the authority to get rid of these footholds, get rid of these attacks. 
Uh, sometimes we need a little bit more strength and the support of others, which is why we should always be gathering together as much as, as we can so that we can cover each other and carry each other's burdens. But we need to reclaim that authority. And that's part of the rebuke. When we rebuke, it's because we have reclaimed the authority. So those can go, those go hand in hand. And then when we finally repented, when we've rebuked and reclaimed, then we can see revival because revival will start in us and it will spread like wildfire. But until we repent and we get rid of these sins and these strongholds that the, that the devil has in us, revival is going to come in little pockets, but a widespread revival that's going to bring this country and all of the earth back to God, that can't happen until we start repenting and then reclaiming the authority that Jesus has given us. And so I share that uh, hoping that it would speak to somebody and uh, because a lot of the, the things that have been on my heart lately has not only been to try to reach people who don't know Jesus, but also to help reshape the narrative within the church. Uh, because I think that too often the church, the universal church, uh, has picked some of the wrong battles and some of the wrong hills to die on, mm -hmm. and they're missing the point. Uh, it's okay, and it's wonderful, and it's, it's perfectly biblical to speak against sin and against the the evils of the world but not to do so in such a way that your method of delivery drives people away the truth is going to drive people away the truth drove people away from jesus but the the way we deliver it needs to be seasoned and needs to be not sugar-coated but it needs to be in a way that's done in love and not out of a desire to be right uh, it's a very delicate balance, and it's one of those things that if you're not careful, your your momentum can carry you from righteousness into sin because you're pushing people away. And it's one of those things where you got to consistently seek the Holy Spirit, seek the Bible, and make sure that we're not going too far off track in our zeal. Because zeal is wonderful until it pushes us into a uh, position where we're hurting the advancement of the gospel. Oh, thank you so much. That was beautifully said. Um, thank you. I know that I use my talents the same way and, and my zeal to uh, devour God's word is the same way, but it's always been tempered with the quote. Well, now I can't remember the exact quote, but from Spurgeon where uh, if Charles Spurgeon, if you are, if you know the word of God and you can eat that steak, it's your job to cut it up into little pieces and share it with others so that they can understand it better. Mm -hmm. So as I do my studies and I see uh, what God shows me through the word of God, I try to explain it gently. Uh, as Spurgeon also said, explain it as if you were explaining it to a little child so mm -hmm. that they could understand it. So I use that and storytelling to be able to do the same thing like you're doing. So now that we have this foundation a good foundation of truth. And now that we know we want to share it in love, um, you add, add or and sprinkle in a little humor as well with your improv. So you have the social distancing improv, mm -hmm. well-versed comedy. Uh, it's free. It's family fun. It's live Thursday central time at 730. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think I mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, it was born out of a need, uh, maybe a little selfish, but when the the, uh, the shelter in place and all this happened, I was left without an outlet to create, an outlet to make an impact with what I feel I'm most gifted at. And so I talked to my team. I said, what, what if we did a virtual show? Uh, we, uh, we can still it'll give us time to practice so that we're still getting together and staying current it also will give us a way to offer something different by broadcasting a free comedy show on facebook so that anybody can tune in and anybody can can laugh for a few minutes they can either laugh at us because it, it's so horrible or they can laugh with us because they're having fun with us but either way it was a way to just try to hold up a candle in the darkness and hope that it can make a difference whether somebody watches live uh, 7.30 Central or they come back and watch a replay. Uh, we've had, um, uh, we've done 23 weeks and I think we're averaging about 150 views 
Um, when it first started, when everybody in the country was locked down, we saw a lot higher numbers, but as more and more states are opening up, um, as more and more people are finding themselves back at work, we're seeing our numbers go down, but still there's, you know, 100, 150 people that'll, uh, that'll catch at least a snippet of it. And uh, for the last two months, we added a, a, a verse of the week so that not only are we doing comedy, but we're also going to drop a little, little nugget from the word in so that if we get somebody that is seeking, that they'll find a little bit, you know, a little seed that hopefully will plant. And, and if they have a question, they can reach out to us or maybe they'll ask a friend or a neighbor. Uh, you know, I heard this verse on this comedy show. What does it mean? Mm -hmm. um, so it was, you know, I do a lot. I, almost everything I do has multiple layers. I'm much like Shrek, uh, you know, I'm like a, you know, I'm an onion, I have multiple layers. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so the comedy was to fill a, a need with myself and with the team is also to try to uh, fill a need because if we're on Facebook offering something that's good and pure and, uh, you know, fills the cr credentials of Philippians 4.8, then it's an alternative to all the ugly that's on Facebook. So for six days a week, you can scroll and see anything in the world that will depress you. But maybe for once a week, for 30 minutes, you can see something that'll lift you up. Yes. Oh, well, that's wonderful. I did a kindness series right about the time COVID hit, trying to focus on something good. like mm. thing. Um, But really what struck me when you were talking about how it was how it has to be another layer, one of those onion layers uh, of goodness to be able to work with others on your team to be able to create something like this. I do most of this all on my own so that it's something that I can do, but to be able to have a team around you to set up time and, you know, they've got families, you've got family, I, and to make it all work and then hearts and unity um, I think that is a wonderful witness to those that you are offering this comedy to, because you're already doing that. You're already walking in the unity to be able to share these things. Yeah, and that that's one of, another piece of the evidence that I know that God put this team together, um, because none of us know each other outside of comedy. Um, we all met through various uh, paths. And it was God's providence that brought us together because we're spread out. Uh, me, uh, I'm the furthest south, and uh, our furthest north member is about an hour and a half w away from me. So we're spread out all over Chicagoland. Um, so only God could have brought us together. And so that's evidence. And then just the ability to, ha to see five people have the heart to do something positive in the world together and be committed to supporting one another. Um, because to do improv, you have to be like the body of Christ. Uh, mm -hmm. To really do it well, you have to love one another, trust one another, and be willing to support one another. Because improv can be really bad and really painful to watch if you have people up there that are out there for themselves. Yeah. Uh, you have to, to do good improv together. You have to be willing to let somebody have the focus. You need to be willing to step in when they're struggling and they need somebody to say something so that they're not carrying the burden of the creativity. Mm -hmm. um, so it's a very um, interesting microcosm of what Christian walk should be like. Um, whenever there's a mistake, uh, we just clean it up and move on. Uh, we forgive, we give grace, and we move on. We don't sit there and say, wow, Anna, that was horrible. I can't believe you just said that in, all, in front of all these people and just completely deride uh, them into the ground. We just pick up and move on and pretend it didn't happen because it's now thrown into the sea, sea of forgetfulness. So uh, improv has so many, uh, so many uh, parallels to uh, the faith walk. And... Um, and I, I think that God is the ultimate improviser because you know, we walk onto a blank stage and we basically speak a world into existence, which is a much, much smaller scale than what God did. He walked onto a blank stage and he spoke a universe into existence in six days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you want to make your own world, you got to get your own dirt. Other <laughs> things, his rules, not our own. 
yeah, I was going over some things for biblical covenants, and that really struck me there. But the foundation that you have there, the unity, is a good thing. Yeah. Thing to have. And, you know, I started this podcasting separately by myself, but it's good to have accountability and friendships. And, and through the Christian Podcasters Association, we have that. It's a good mm-hmm. thing to be able to have others to bounce things off of and share things with and, and be encouraged by and encourage others. I like that you have the humor in all of this. My son uses humor um, as well. He's an actor. Both of my sons are extremely intelligent and very, um, God has equipped them with many different ways to share his word. So as we walk through this life, I know, you know, humor is a good thing, but one day we will get to the end. And I guess I, I'd like to know, do you believe that your view of end time theology affects the way that you live your life right now and how? I think it does because the way I know that generations uh, and my mom has reminded me of this, that for generations we've been hearing, Oh, the end is near, the end is near. But for me, I, I think that, yeah, the end is near, but it's, it's been like a, I don't know if you've ever been to a mall and they have the, the funnel where you drop the quarter in and it goes around and around. Well, we've seen that quarter go around and around for, for generations but now I see us closer to that funnel uh, where it's about to drop in. And maybe it's 50 years from now, maybe it's, you know, 50 days from now. Uh, some have said that maybe uh, uh, John misunderstood uh, the Lord when he wrote Revelation and it wasn't seven uh, trumpets, it was seven trump pence. So maybe in three years. After oh, oh, oh my goodness. We stepped into the realm of, politics <laughs> no i won't go any further with that um i i just i think i thought it was hilarious that here as we get closer to these end times we got trumpets in the white house that's not a political endorsement in any way shape or form um i just think it's funny, it was uh, funny. i took it as funny anyway <laughs> but i i just look at the way things are happening uh the wars the rumors of wars uh sin becoming accepted uh the sexualization and, and the use of sexualization of children, mm-hmm. uh, the sacrifice of children. It, it was, it's like, like our society and societies in Europe are literally carrying their children up to Baal, up to Moloch and mm-hmm. sacrificing them in, in different ways. So I, I see that the sand is running out of the hourglass. I don't know how much sand is left, but I know it's running out. And I feel like, there's a real good possibility that I will live to see Jesus return. And because I realize, or I feel that way, I'm more motivated to look above the fray and say, there's something more important coming. There's something bigger. It doesn't, you know, the 2020 election is not going to matter. What is going to matter is how you treated the people you disagreed with over the election. What's going to matter is how you thought about people who you disagreed with. Uh, you and I, maybe you know, one of us is voting right, one of us voting left. We're in the body of Christ. It shouldn't matter how I feel about you based on what you vote. Um, but unfortunately, there's so many people that are so divided. Uh, even within the church, uh, skin tone is a huge dividing factor. Mm-hmm. And it breaks my heart because I feel like I can't talk true scripture with somebody uh, that's a, a different ethnicity than me because I I feel like I'm going to be judged because of my pigment or they're going to assume that I don't know things because they have a different background and it breaks my heart that there's so much disunity and there's no ability even within the body of Christ to really talk to each other and be willing to cast aside the the, uh, dividing forces uh, of the world and realize that 10,000 years from now none of these new stories are going to matter. It, what's going to matter is, is your name written in the book of life? Yes. And did you do community within the, the the area that you're in? Were you a neighbor to your neighbors? Mm-hmm. And did you live as Christ would have you live? That's what's going to be important. And Biden, Trump, doesn't matter. And, and I hope that they both are saved. I hope they both truly know Jesus. And I hope that I'll see them both on the other side of eternity. Um, 
and where I vote or how I vote doesn't matter. What matters is that I've elected Jesus my king. Mm -hmm. And what matters is that you have elected Jesus your king. Everything else is details. And we have to focus on the king and not what's at eye level. Yes, this realm that we live in, it's that in between heaven and earth. And we are here as ambassadors again to lead others to the kingdom to come for them. Um, But the foundation, God's word, I think rises above all the politics, all the skin color, because God doesn't look at the outside of us. He looks at the inside. He looks past the whatever you vote, whatever skin color you have. He looks at what's inside the soul. And as believers, we're supposed to be doing the same thing. So we should be able to have these conversations with others. I remember as a child, um, we had a German family, first generation Germans here, and we had all the neighbors coming over. And, you know, at that time, Southern California, it was a melting pot. Mm. I remember those from Africa and Germany and France and Italy and all kinds of people from different nationalities were Americans at that time, but they were all sitting around the table on a Friday night talking politics talking religion and passionately, Mm -hmm. but then they would all go home still friends. And that's the way it needs to be is that you can be passionate and you can be, um, you, it it could get heated even, but at the end of the day, you hug it out. You say, not even the cop out agree to disagree, but I see your perspective. I just, I think that this is the better way. But you can still leave knowing that Jesus is still king. You're still brothers and sisters. And the election is not going to matter once we've uh, entered into eternity. Um, And, you know, that's one of the things that I've said on several occasions and shared uh, from our comedy page and from Gifts for Glory page is that we don't do comedy during these times, uh, during the even during the riots and all the violence and everything. We don't do it out of irreverence Mm -hmm. and out of... uh, being aloof in regards to all the stress and everything we're doing it because we have a hope that we know that this is temporary. The temporary can be incredibly painful. I mean, look at it. Jesus served three years in full-time ministry. His last, uh, last 12 hours were brutally painful. Um, So pain is inevitable, but there's a hope. He knew that hope. Uh, better than us because he came from that hope to bring it to us. Mm -hmm. Um, So when we do comedy, even in the roughest of times, it's not out of irreverence, it's not out of disrespect, but it's out of respect for the real hope, the real truth, uh, that the newspapers, they'll burn up and they'll go away like the shaft, but the real truth of the gospel is going to live forever, and that's what we're celebrating, the gift of laughter, the gift of hope, the gift of freedom from the chains of this earth, knowing that there's a new day coming, that there is a, a new hope, and there's a new Jerusalem, there's a new heavens and a new earth. It's all coming, and that's why we la- we can laugh even in the darkest of times is because this will be left behind. It stinks walking through it, but eventually God's going to flush, and it's going to be clear. okay (laughs) wonderful things isn't it (laughs) if you could step into my shoes what would you have asked yourself today that i didn't Uh, well if i could step in your shoes it would be very painful because i wear a size 16 and (laughs) (laughs) big shoes to fill yes that's why i was never good at free throws i was always stepping a few inches behind the line (laughs) But uh, uh, I think we covered it. Um, You know, uh, I mentioned the reason, my why, and that's the most important thing is God is my why and why I do comedy is because God is redeeming all those lost years to depression that I use humor as a defense mechanism. Now I'm using it as a way to draw people closer to him. And, And the beauty of comedy is God can use it to minister even if I never in that moment share the gospel directly just because i'm there in the light of christ is coming with me and with our team Mm -hmm. there's something that god can use in that uh i feel like there are times when 
in improv because I'm not planning what I'm going to say. I'll say something and God can give me an idea or a joke or a moment to create on stage improvised that could minister to somebody in that crowd. And, you know, those are the kind of things where I may never hear about it until the other side. But I believe that as comedians, as people of God, that our job is to look for opportunities to use our, our words to share the gospel. But if we just live it and we just carry the light of Christ with us into whatever room we're in, God can still use that whether or not we get a chance to actually say the words. Because we're spiritual beings at our root. These bodies are temporary. Um, but the spirit, that's what's eternal. And the spirit can work without words. And I don't know, you know, that, that could be a different theology than other people might have. But I, I think that the connectedness that we have as humans, because we're all made in God's image, I believe that we can minister to one another just by presence. But I have to use words to let you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah. This would be a very hard podcast to just sit here and just <laughs> and, and emote. <laughs> yes. Okay. So I really appreciate you coming on the program today, Dave, and sharing yeah. your life. And thank you to your wife. I think her name is Bobby, right? Yes. Thank you for giving of her time as well to share you with um, all the listeners on Moments with Moni. Can you tell my listeners where they can connect with you online? I am on Facebook, unfortunately, way too much, but um, they can uh, find our uh, comedy ministry. Uh, just look up Wellversed Comedy uh, at Wellversed CMDY. Uh, it's uh, it's shortened because uh, Twitter only allows you so many letters, so I had to find one uniform thing that would fit. So uh, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, you can find us at WellversedCMDY. Uh, you can also find me on uh, on Facebook at Gifts or Glory. That's where the podcast is. Uh, share scripture and different things uh, through that page, and that's at Gifts the number four Glory. And uh, the last thing I'll, I'll say is uh, that I want to share is every time I, I do a, a testimony, I open it up to let people know that because of what I've been through, I want to be able to be there for you in your struggle. So if you're somebody that's struggling with depression, suicidal thoughts, and you feel like nobody's there to listen, my email box, go, it goes right to my phone, dave at giftsforglory.com. That's Dave at gifts, the number four glory.com. It goes right to my phone. If I'm in dead asleep, I can't, I probably won't hear it go off, but I'll see it first thing in the morning. Uh, but that email box is there for you to vent, there for you to ask questions. And it's not for me to come back at you with a bunch of scripture and try to preach at you. I just want to listen uh, because I know no two depressions are the same. No two battles with suicide are the same. Uh, but I do know what it feels like to feel hopeless and feel like a burden. And I also know that sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody who doesn't know you, so there's no preconceived judgment. Uh, so that email box is open to anybody that needs a voice or needs uh, a sounding board. I would just, I'd love to be that person if you need it. What a beautiful invitation. Anyone's out there that is hurting, please take advantage of this. Thank you again, Dave, for your time, your love for others and i know that god will continue to use you until we meet in heaven if not here on earth here there or in the air sounds great thank you so much for having me it's a, a pleasure and uh anybody that listens in and this is your first time check out all the episodes moments of money is awesome i highly endorse it and as an ebert i have the authority to give it two thumbs up oh wow thank you i have a new review <laughs> right there two thumbs up from dave ebert Yay. <laughs> so check out all of his stuff too. The improv, the devotions. He's got a heart for Jesus, loves God with all his heart, all his soul, all his might, and his neighbor as himself. Thanks so much for listening to Moments with Moni. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please share it with a friend and subscribe by sending the phrase Subscribe to Moni's Tribe along with your email address to the number 1703-951-3077. That's subscribe to Moni's Tribe along with your email address to the number 1703-951-3077. 
also find this information in the show notes. Thanks for listening.